You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Arlington Remastered. Chapter 12 The Swordmaster. From the Journal of Major Frank Butler, District of Columbia, March 3rd, 1883. The table before me was home to an enormous map of the eastern states, ending in the Pan State Line, which ran from the northernmost tip of Minnesota all the way down to the southwestern edge of Louisiana. As the director paced around it, Corporal Higgins and her companion, Corporal Yin, examined a stack of today's messages from the fields, and, using long wooden instruments, adjusted the positions of the cartographers who had called in. There were dozens of pieces on the field, each one representing a unit or a scouting party. My eye fell on Ohio, to the city of Lancaster, and one cartographer captain in particular. I noted that Annie's piece was beside a silver figurine. That Vice President Hayes there? Correct. They should be on their way back east in the next few days. Good. Getting lonely? Of course, sir, but I'll manage. My eyes continued to roam over this board as the corporals weaved around me, nudging tokens a few inches east or west. There was a green cluster in Mississippi and Louisiana that took my interest. They were gathered around a black ring, the only other of these on the board being in Missouri. I noted that there were scatterings of yellow pieces around Louisiana and red in D.C., which was, of course, the most densely populated collection of figurines and symbols. There was a corresponding red fort in Georgia. Other colors were also on the board, orange in Tennessee, purple in Indiana. I knew now what I was looking at. These are the larger threats. Red for Tremaine and his army here, right? Correct. These are the ones we know of in those locations. Six of them. So each of these represents a hundred men. My god, I had no idea it was so bad in Mississippi. And those are conservative estimates. The Reds, as you say, are the Knights of America. Do you know all the others? Well, let's see now. The Yellows would be the Lafayettes. I know of a fellow who scouted all the way out down there and just about got away with three limbs intact. Lieutenant Farnham, yes. Great fellow. This arrangement in Louisiana is all based on his intel. Do you know if Mama Lafayette is still alive and heading them up? I didn't want to send anybody else in after Farnham's story. You can probably guess why I didn't put it in the handbook. Didn't want to come off like you were drumming up hatred? No, but I think I implied heavily enough that their ethos had to be responded to with deadly force. Yeah, that came across pretty... pretty strongly. They're so dug into the swamp, we're just guessing with these positions and numbers, but... that's gonna be one nasty fight. Right next to them you have the Greens. Well, I heard of a group started in Jackson called the Southern Cross. Very hostile, very territorial. Correct again. They have refused all our attempts at contact and have pretty much made the whole state of Mississippi a separate country. We have very little info on what's going on in there. But if they're sitting on a wind door, which I think that black ring represents, then we have to go in sometime, right? It's gonna take a while to march an army on over. We have to go through everyone else. Some kind of subtle infiltration, then. Or a specialist team. Yes. Sneaking in the back may be the only way we can learn what we're up against. And get a look at that wind door. Sir, I'm sorry to interrupt. Agent Lee. These were recovered from walls on 5th and 6th Street this morning. Find out who posted them. 
It will almost certainly be a child or somebody at the lowest economical rung. Bring them in. We need to have a talk about who paid them to do this. Expect a paper trail. I did not stare at what he was holding overtly, but over his shoulder I could see a sheaf of postin' bills. They had a crude drawing of an ape upon them with red eyes, prominent lips, and dark brown skin. The ape was clutching a quill and parchment. The question beside the creature was, would you take orders from a monkey? Thomas detected my surreptitious glance. Can I help you, Major? Bunch of savages in this town. It's just one of those things we have to deal with. But it may link to something far larger, if you would excuse me. He took Lee aside and spoke with her quietly. I did not make eye contact with the spy. Of course, the longer I left it, the more awkward it would be when the two of us had to speak again. But I simply did not wish to make small talk with her. Instead, I turned to Corporal Higgins and consulted the map again. This one white piece in Kansas I don't know. Oh, thank you for reminding me, Major. She reached her instrument across and drew the piece towards her, replacing it with a small counter with a cross imprinted upon it. I looked at her quizzically. That's a suspected cult. Or at least it was until yesterday. Apparently they reacted badly to the scout and his partner. We did manage to recover some of the children before the parents shot them all. God. Oh, I'd say he had very little to do with their outlook on the world. You get a lot of those? Enough to give the condition a lot of these people suffer from a name. You heard of Revelation Syndrome? I've met enough people fixated on the notion that these are the end times to recognize that mentality. Kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? People punching their own ticket, I can understand. Whatever reasons you have are your own, and that's your business. We've been dealt the shittiest of hands, if you'll pardon my French. But taking the decision on behalf of your child, well, gets me steamed up. What about the purple pieces? I turned to the director, now standing alone as Lee had left with neither a word nor a sound. His expression was cold, and I realized with a pang of regret what I had said in front of him. If we could get back to the matter in hand... Director Arlington, I am so sorry. I spoke out of turn without consideration. Think nothing more of it, Major. In essence, I agree with you. Of course, there are other factors at play when it comes to... It's past. The purple pieces. Ah. The purples in Tennessee and South Carolina are the fraternity of the dragon, based on the remnants of the Ku Klux Klan. Their remit is pretty simple. Any Africans, homosexuals, Hebrews, Muslims, Hindus, or Canadians who enter their territory are chased down, tied to crucifixes, and set on fire. I'm surprised you haven't wiped them off the map. Oh, we will. Once Atlanta is retaken and Tremaine is fully on side, we are going to root out every last one of this particular fraternity. Understand, I have to be seen to have my priorities in line with what's best for the American people. Were it up to me, they would have been objective number one the moment we took back Washington. How about the orange fellows scattered across Alabama and Georgia? Well, I've personally tangled with members of a gang calling themselves the Patriot Brotherhood when I was near the city of Montgomery, but I really hope that's not them, because if they're in Georgia too... It's them. Damn. The ones that brand themselves with a star on their faces? You see why I'm cultivating our relationship with Tremaine? Of course. It's not just about his army. 600 men we can deal with. 
There would be terrible loss of life. Exactly. Needlessly. If we just left them alone, didn't court them for aid, look at all these groups he could gather to his banner if that influence of his spreads. If somehow enough of them banded together, we'd be absolutely fucked. I mean it. Fucked. Goodbye any hope of taking out the Wendigo because we'd be losing all our men and women in uniform to an army of goddamn shit-kicking white supremacist fucking lunatics. Our only hope, our only possible sliver of a chance to overcome them is that they're so territorial, so wholly self-invested, so disorganized, and so focused on their own entirely reductive view of an America that they can't possibly get back and never existed in the first place, that they continue to oppose the nature of cooperation and won't be able to work together long enough to present a unified threat. What they're fighting so hard against keeps them weak. Uh, Danny? Hello, Harry. I'm sorry I was just dealing with some unpleasantness. Are you all right? Very all right. Very all right. I, I've just finished and uh, I, I need you. I'll come right now. Major Butler, this will almost certainly be of interest. Yes, sir. I wasn't disturbing you there, was I? No. You couldn't disturb me any more than what we were already talking about. Harry led us from the war room, down a corridor, over a gantry leading through the hangar. I, of course, could not help craning around to see those wonderful steam craft sitting dormant. I waved at Tesla and then Edison as they noted our passing. The former was bolting a new device to the side of Steelborn, and the latter was sat at a desk close to Spearhead, poring over some blueprints. I turned my attention back to the Arlingtons, and reached the sudden and profound conclusion that everyone appeared to be in the inescapable grip of waiting for something to happen. Something grand and terrible and unavoidable. As though the daily challenges we faced were not enough to warrant our full acceptance of a committed life. Instead, we were caught inexorably upon the precipice of finding our true usefulness, idling away until historical significance gave us no choice but to answer the call. Harry unbolted the door to Weapons Lab A and ushered us inside. There were various people in this enormous vault, beavering away at workbenches, and it was far larger than its single door hinted. One fellow I recognized as Samuel Tudor, inventor of the Clementine, though it would have been hard to mistake him, surrounded as he was by variations of the trusty field mace. Close to him, I saw a man of Japanese origin. He was attired in robes from his own country, hitched up at the arms and legs for practicality, and he sported an ornate topknot and sculpted sideburns upon his head of ashen-gray hair. Harry brought us over to this fellow, who was quietly sipping tea and regarding an exotic suit of armor. It had a frightening war mask, Beautiful lacquered paneling, and a pair of blades in exquisite scabbards at its hip. The director, in an unusual moment for him, put both arms to his sides and leaned forward in a respectful bow. Master Yagyu. Thomas. Oh, you're clearly unhappy today. Drink this before it becomes bitter. 
He reached over to a small, ornate tea set, upon which were two brewing cups that he presented to us. We took them gratefully, and I sipped the amber liquid as we regarded the armor. There was such an air of calm about this man that it did not occur to me to either decline or wonder at the specifics of the etiquette to follow at this moment, though I did notice that Thomas drank without question, which spoke volumes about his levels of trust. It's Valerian tea. I've been using it to help Harry nap. I've been up and down for days, Daddy. Major Butler, this is Toshiro Yagyu. Feeling that a handshake would be unseemly in this instance, I imitated Arlington's bow. You know the Model 1879 Light Artillery Saber? You designed that? I did. Then it's an honor to meet you. That sword has saved my life three times. Thank you. It's a good blade. Not so good against the Wendigo, though. Nobody wants to get showered with infected arterial spray anymore. Hence that new mace that replaced it. At this, he waved across at Captain Tudor, who waved back. He's better at adapting to the future than I am. I'm a traveler from the old world. All this newfangled technology can be intimidating to an old man like me. Au contraire, Master Yagyu. All credit to the captain over there, but the Clementine couldn't have sliced through the reeds that were tangled round my legs at Beaver Creek to get me free in time to fight and dispatch several pursuers from the Patriot Brotherhood when I had no more bullets and a gunshot to the arm. It's just a case of the right tool for the right time. You are very kind. Luckily for me, and for no one else, the potential for our armies to go up against uninfected humans is always looming. And I have other skills besides sword-making. Did you craft this armor? Yes. This is one of my most recent attempts at recapturing the more diverse skills of my spring years. All aside from the Daito of Swords, they came with me from Japan. I don't think I've ever met someone from there. How did you find yourself in the Eastern States? I walked. From Japan? No. From San Francisco, Major. I'm not magical, you know. Was this after the Wendigo? Yes. This would have been the fall of 1872. Some of the boats that got away from Japan found a welcome harbor. But why not stay in California? You know, that is the toughest of questions. I think when I look back now, I was in a new land, much of it unexplored. I had left everything behind, and my ancient skills were of no use to anyone. So I walked. Then you've seen the western states travel through them? Oh, yes. I wasn't a fan of the Nevada Territory. It was hotter than a bath in wasabi. I don't know what that is. Something fairly hot. But the territory of Colorado I liked. Mountains and lakes I can handle. And it was very beautiful. I might have stayed there, had the road not called me on. These places I've never been, and I suppose I might never. You saw more of America than any of us. I think that may have been why I started walking in the first place. And one day, four years later, I found Thomas. Or rather, he found me in Manassas. I was asking around for sword makers. I had found my use, Major Butler. And for just a few years, I made you all swords. 
It's a shame you can't watch him make one. It's it's fairly fascinating. They don't have two weeks to spare, child. And now I am no longer asked to make them. You have enough in storage. My forge is cold. But, you know, I don't mind. Thomas mentioned the saber in both versions of the handbook, even if it's only special issue. And they still find things for me to do around here. Like helping this young lady. He's a real good teacher. <laughs> I must admit, my curiosity is at an all-time high right now. Okay. You, you need to close your eyes and step to the right. Her father obligingly did so, and I spotted, standing innocuously beside the Japanese armor, a shrouded figure. Harry hopped up and carefully removed the sheets covering this to reveal a mannequin dressed in one of her father's suits. Thomas opened his eyes and then looked quizzically at his daughter's creation. Looks like your jacket, right? See anything unusual? No. Good. Then the illusion functions perfectly. She slid a hand inside the jacket and then, propping up the fabric, she rapped upon the front with the knuckles of her other hand. The tapping sound that rang out immediately suggested some hidden substance within the soft material. Is this... is this what I think it is? Thin ceramic plates threaded through the linen, each coated with stone spring. Now, it's heavier than your regular suit, but, um... Major Butler, if you would, uh... uh... She crossed over to me and whispered in my ear. Then as I stepped out in front of the display... She cleared the area and alerted the room to what was about to happen. Trust me. Go ahead and fire at the heart. From a distance of ten yards, I fired a single bullet directly at the heart of the mannequin. The sound of the gunshot echoed around the vault, and everybody present flinched. Then we crossed over to inspect the damage. The front breast pocket was torn and powder-stained, but at the base of the standee lay a crumpled lump of metal that all of us knew immediately to be my bullet. Thomas inspected the damage and studied her closely as she explained the dynamics of her design, all in words I had no hope of fully understanding. Now, I'm gonna need to repair that pocket, but feel this in here, Dad. The bullet impacted on the plate, and it absorbed all the momentum. Now, uh, that thing's fastened to the floor with steel rods, so if ever this happens, You'll, you'll be going over. That's that's for sure. But your heart would be safe. Thomas stood for some time, deliberating, and slowly drew Harry towards him and embraced her. It was ginger and awkward, and clearly neither of them did this often, but he held his smiling daughter tightly, radiating gratitude. This moment, of course, could not last. This is Captain Tudor. Okay, he's here. Director Arlington. Yes. What details do you have? I'm sorry, what? Say that again. Vice President Hayes has been avowed by a fly scooping iron in Ohio. Oh. What's the situation over there? Are they under attack? 
I see. Okay. Good. I'm moving back to the war room. This needs serious discussion. Can you get Pines and McTavish up here, please? This is their speciality. Thank you, Chester. Sir, if that's Vice President Hayes, can you tell me what's happened? An attack. Annie's with him. Did the message say anything about Annie? It's all right, Frank. Annie's the one who sent it. She's conducting the investigation, and she's injured, but alive and walking about. Who attacked the Vice President? A flying scorpion lion. Is the man okay? He's dead. This is bad. You have been listening to episode 12 of Arlington Remastered, The Swordmaster. Written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Thomas W. Arlington and Master Yagyu, performed by Alex Shaw. Major Frank Butler and Samuel Tudor, performed by Spencer Lieb. Harry Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor. Corporal Higgins, performed by Megan Hopwood. And Chester, performed by Dan Mayer. Prospector theme, Eastminster, All This, and Battle Hymn of the Republic, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. And Stone Spring Maidens is now available in paperback form on Amazon.com. And if you're on our Patreon at the $10 level or higher, then access to the ebook version is part of the bonus package you receive. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksch, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Thank you.